how are you? I am. Hello. hello. (laughs) I am good. I, I'm, for all intents and purposes, I am finished with seminary. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, I have turned in my very last paper. I have really, I just have some classmate interaction to do and a class to attend. And that is literally all I have to do. I've read every book. I've written every paper. I have submitted every assignment. I am done. But it literally worked out this way that the same time that I finished all of my assignments was the same time that our Summer in the Psalms series started. And I feel like it's just rolling from one thing to the next in a really cool and positive way. Because one of the things I've been talking to my spiritual director about is, what do I do in this moment of transition and change? And and I'm, I'm walking away from seminary and into a different pace and a different thought life. And so how do I keep my spiritual rhythms intact? And it was just so wonderful that this Summer in the Psalms series that we're doing on this podcast could just roll right into it. That's awesome. It's hilarious that you say all of that because I was actually calling because this idea of transition has been on my mind a lot lately. And it sounds like it's been on your mind as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to kind of talk about transitions and what it means to be following Jesus in times of transition. You know, you you mentioned a few minutes ago, or a few moments ago, that you were talking to your spiritual director about keeping your spiritual rhythms in place during a transition, and I have been in transitions as well, and that's always really hard for me, too. I, I think transitions are hard. <laughs> and yeah, you're exactly right. They are hard. And right now, the transition I'm in is one that you know, ostensibly I've seen coming for four and a half years. I knew this was this moment would arrive. So I've had time to plan or I have time to think about it, time to talk to my spiritual director about it. And yet the awkwardness of being in the in-between still exists. But it's not the only type of transition. I mean, it's made exponentially harder when a moment of transition is kind of foisted upon you. You just all of a sudden you have to switch from thing to thing or have a major life change that you didn't expect. And those are harder and more disorienting just because of their suddenness. Yeah. You know, I think of transitions in two different categories. There are the transitions we choose and the transitions that are, to use the phrase you just used, foisted upon us. Mm -hmm. And what's fascinating to me is both are difficult. But sometimes they are difficult in different ways. For example, the transition you were just talking about that you're in the middle of, or the transition that moved us to Missouri a couple of years ago, we knew that transition was coming for almost an entire year. And in some ways, the lead time on that is exhausting and overwhelming in and of itself just knowing that it's coming. Yeah. And there were a host of moments in the middle of that that we were like, oh, can it just be over? Can we just be there already? But 
then there are transitions you don't expect that are sudden. And I suspect in the middle of those, people find themselves saying, oh, I just wish I had a little bit more time. Mm. Well, sometimes it's more time, but then it's also, I mean, depending on the circumstances of that transition, right? There are all of these questions that kind of cloud your mind. God, are you still there? God, I don't think I'm doing this right, or I, I don't think I'm doing this well enough. Uh, God, I feel like a failure right now. God, I, I'm not oriented to my space right now, and I feel so chaotic, and I, God, I just want some rest. Like I think there's so many things that swirl about and, and feel so uncertain and unsolid when the transition is foisted upon you. That's the word of the day. And if you're counting at home, that's number mm-hmm. three. So, Jing. Well, exactly. And this is, I have so many questions about the intersection of the spiritual life and transitions. And, and you just hit on one of them. I think one of the big questions for me is, what does it mean to relate to God in the midst of transition? Mm. I, I feel like, A, I have a very difficult time praying in transitional moments in a traditional sense. I have a hard time keeping my mind focused on God in times when I'm setting aside time for prayer. I may pray more throughout the day, but I pray less in my quote-unquote quiet times. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think there is something disruptive about our rhythms and our spiritual practices in the midst of transition, whether a planned or unplanned transition. But on a broader scale, I heard it said once that when you're getting married, marriage doesn't make your relationship better or worse. It doesn't do anything but put a magnifying lens on the relationship that already exists. So whatever Mm. your relationship is in that moment, just magnify it by tenfold, and that's what marriage is going to be like. And, uh, you know, obviously there's there's room for growth and, and change and, and all of that thing. That's not a static statement, but it is saying that that transition, that crossover from dating to marriage is a magnification of whatever state that relationship is in. And I think something like that is true of our relationship with God going into a moment of transition. And so I think part of the answer, what's the relationship between transition and my spiritual walk, has to begin way back before the transition to say, what was my relationship with God like before this even came about? How solid was that ground I was standing upon? Yeah, I think you're right on some level. My experience is that Significant transitions take a proportional toll on relationships. So it's not just that it magnifies the relationship with God or what's already there, but it does seem like it takes a toll. So, Mm. you know, if I was doing fairly well in staying connected with God, that takes a step backwards for me in the midst of transitions. And, And maybe that shows something about what I think relating to God in the midst of transition ought to be. Because I still find myself asking, 
what am I trying to accomplish in my relationship with God? What is this supposed to look like? And I think perhaps what gets interrupted is not the relationship itself, but my sense of clarity on what the relationship is supposed to look like, or my sense of ticking the spiritual boxes, those things get disrupted. And therefore, I start thinking to myself, oh, I'm not doing as well spiritually, Mm. as if that were the thing that matters. Maybe that's what's going on in my head. I'm not sure. No, that makes that's a, such a good point because I think we often talk, as even on this podcast, we talk a lot about spiritual rhythms and how are we engaging with God and positioning ourselves well to receive God and, and all of these things. And though I don't think either of us mean that in a works based way, it can develop that character rather quickly and easily. And if mm-hmm. that's what we use to measure our health, then yeah, that's going to feel very unhealthy when it comes to moments of transition, because we're not going to be as consistent. We're not consistent about anything in the middle of transition, because we don't have rhythms. We don't have consistency. We don't have, we're not oriented to time and place and all of those things. We're just trying to get through. Ooh, I appreciate that word oriented. I think I am as deeply dependent on rhythm and routine, perhaps as any person can possibly be and still be within the realm of healthy. (laughs) And so when my rhythms and routines get interrupted, I feel, you use the word oriented, I would say I feel disoriented. And I often therefore feel disoriented in my relationship with God. I find myself asking, what is going on here? What are we doing? Why, like, yeah, what are we doing here uh, is exactly the question I end up asking, which seems like a bit metaphorical, but I can't think of better words for it. But I think of, you know, we're in the midst of this Summer in the Psalms series, and I feel like so many of the Psalms do that very thing. They take that anguish or that cry of the heart or that feeling of being disoriented and place it right back where it belongs, which is in conversation with God. And if that is the default in the middle of transition, if that's who you go to to on some level process this, or at least, if I can say it this way, unload all of that, that I think is a spiritually healthy response. No, that's a great point. I am... I see what I feel like is often missing in my relationship with God in these moments because I see other people get the thing that I'm looking for in conversation with me, if that makes sense. Uh, You know, I was talking with one of the guys from the church a couple of days ago, and we have had a host of very complicated transitions even this week in our housing programs at my church. And It's just been very, very messy. And actually, two different people, no, I'm sorry, three different people decided to take their scheduled meeting with me to kind of debrief the chaos. And in one of the situations, they wanted to talk about it briefly and then move on, and nothing really happened in the conversation. 
The other two decided to take an extended amount of time, almost a full hour, and just describe what they were thinking and feeling and how it was impacting them. And in both of those situations, the experience of being heard, the experience of being able to fully express where they were at, allowed them to spiritually shift their posture. Mm -hmm. In one of the situations, the guy went from deeply hurting, worn out, and overwhelmed to deeply grateful and deeply proud of himself in the healthy sense, all because he was able to talk it out. Mm. And that, to me, is what a conversation is for in that moment. Right. Well, I want to ask you this then. How did you feel as the one receiving all of those conversations and listening as they processed? Oh, I love that stuff. Like that's a huge part of what I am passionate about is giving people space because I really believe that space and meaningful listening changes our lives. I completely agree. And I ask you that question because I think somehow or another, I get into my head sometimes that God doesn't have the same experience. That when I'm pouring out my heart and I'm processing out loud with God, or I'm just flinging all of my emotions his direction, somehow I think, I, I don't think that that's his reaction. And if that is Josh from Missouri's reaction, as sinful, corrupt, and horrible as a human you are. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, then, you know, how much more so, right, is is God? So, well, and I'll, I'll tell you what, the challenge for me is not necessarily thinking that God isn't interested. It is far more in those moments when I start unpacking that stuff in prayer. If I'm being completely honest, it feels like I'm unpacking that stuff alone. I mm. feel more isolated and I do not have a clear, confident sense that I am, that God is present. Mm. Boy, that's so good. I think you're totally right. And I just had an experience. I was just having coffee with somebody before we recorded this podcast. They're really going through the ringer. And the fact that I could sit across from them and just listen and then pray with them at the end, I could almost watch these burdens kind of fall off of them for a moment. And there is something powerful about sitting with another human being and processing this. And I don't think that we're taking the place of God in that moment. I think we are exercising our divine calling as the Imago Dei by doing that. The representatives of God, not the replacements for God. Correct. I mm. think that's how God designed human beings and why spiritual friendship or mentors or whatever Christian connection relationship you want to talk about, like we need each other in the church for that reason. And the other piece of this as I'm thinking about it, when life is in transition and I need to process it out with God, I may need to pray differently. 
you know, like the picture in my head is there's this chair, this kind of round swivelly chair that I always sit in when I'm praying and I read my Bible for a little bit and then I talk with God. It may be that I need to do something very different. The best conversation I've had with God in the last couple of weeks, I was on a run and I was halfway through my run and just did not feel like running anymore. And I stopped running and just started talking to God on the trail. And that was good. And mm-hmm. it may have been good in part because it was different. And the different context allowed me to be in a different space with God. And I may need to just shake things up and do something I don't normally do. At the very least, I would say you need to embrace the freedom to do that whenever the feeling comes, right? You felt that happen in the middle of a run. And I know your running history enough to know you don't stop many runs. You press through even when you're feeling tired or whatever. So for you to pause a run is a big deal. Mm -hmm. But you gave yourself permission to do that and to use that time in the way you felt led to use that time. Sometimes I feel, feel like it's not necessarily, oh, I need to change things up. It's I need to feel permission to respond how I need to respond in the midst of this transition, whatever that looks like. That's good. You know, my wife and I have talked about this in a number of different areas, that sometimes the best thing to do is the thing that comes naturally. And you almost need to let yourself lead yourself. Mm. And that's exactly right. So stop, just stop. And that's fine. Whatever you need to do. Don't be controlled by your rhythms. Don't be controlled by your norms. I think that's really good. What else? What other thoughts have you been having about transition? Because you've been going through transitions as much as I have recently. Yeah. One of the things that's really been sticking with me through my transition is kind of a knowledge of who I am in my unguarded moments and the ways that I can get lazy or distracted. And I am worried that many of the spiritual benefits that I got from studying in seminary will be, obviously that seminary is going to be taken away. So I'm not going to get all of those. And when I got really, really busy, sometimes I would rely on those benefits as a substitute for my other spiritual practices. And without that to fall back on, how healthy am I going to be now engaging in the rest of my life spiritually? And Mm. I'm kind of scared of myself and I'm having to, you know, lean into my rule of life and lean into some other practices that I have deeply enjoyed over the last few years and try to figure out how to engage those rhythms more healthfully as I transition to the next phase. I think that's one of the great things about a moment of transition is in a way getting to reimagine yourself and reimagine your circumstances and reimagine your life and saying, this is who I want to be. Let me seize this moment to be a better version of me. Uh, or a more consistent Mm. version or what have you. And I find myself in that 
mindset as I engage this transition out of seminary? Yeah, you know, this is the difference between a mid-20-something getting out of Christian college or seminary and a 40-something getting out of Christian college or seminary. You are aware of that process before it happens. Mm. I have had this exact conversation with a host of graduating mid-20-somethings who are going into ministry or who are just getting out of Christian college or whatever, and six months or a year later, they realize their spiritual lives have tanked because there was a scaffolding set up around them that was supporting their spiritual lives that they had no idea was there. They thought they were being independent when, in fact, they were just depending on scaffolding that they were completely ignoring. Mm. And it is cool to hear you being intentional about that moment. That's a really good thing. I mean, I don't know if it's driven from wisdom or just plain fear. That seems to be how I'm feeling inside is I don't want to lose a vital connection with God. I don't want to lose a passion for his word. I don't want to lose rhythms of healthy prayer. I don't want to lose rhythms of study and good conversation like we have on this podcast. Like, I just don't want to lose those things. I'm, I'm fearful that left to my own devices, I will. And so thank you for saying what you did, but it feels like unwarranted praise since it's just really dri- driven from fear, not wisdom. Well, but, I, you know, if I can drive us back to basic Bible themes here, I think that when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, I actually think that's what you're exhibiting. The fear of the Lord is not necessarily... I had Somebody said this to, this week, and I thought it was great. Somebody in conversation with me said, I finally understand that the, the fear of the Lord is not fear of what the Lord will do to me. The fear of the Lord is actually fear of losing the Lord in the midst of all the other things. Mm, I actually reconstructed that sentence in my head before you finished it. I thought you were going to say, uh, it's not the fear of what the Lord will do to me. It's fear of what I will do without the Lord. Yes, exactly. I, I think that is the same general idea. And both ways, it is hard for me not to hear that in what you are saying, and therefore, secondarily, to think that sounds to me like the beginning of wisdom. Hmm. I hope so. That would sure make my day. Literally, yes. Uh, we'll, we'll find out, I think. <laughs> But I wonder if we can, just because I'm feeling uh, a little under the microscope here, can we broaden this out or or at least go attack this from the other side? Because I, I think both of us are in moments of transition that in mm-hmm. large measure we can see coming. But I know we've both experienced life transitions that come rather suddenly. And for me, let me just descri- mm-hmm. describe the situation I'm thinking of in my own life. In my own life, I was working for 
not the 911 center. I had been there for over a decade and content in my job, but desperately wanting to be in some form of ministry and asking God when that would be. And this opportunity came to be the principal slash middle school teacher, one of two middle school teachers at my kids' very small rural Christian school. And I took that opportunity and it was midway through the year because the principal's husband got a job in another state and they were leaving. And so she was like, hey, do you want to take over? And okay, so great. So I take over midway through the year. I'm very disoriented. It was very sudden. I, I didn't know the job very well. I was trying to learn it. And so the whole time was just a moment of transition and disorientation. And then after the next summer, just like two weeks before teachers reported back for the new school year, the school board said, well, enrollment just didn't recover like we thought it might, and we're going to close the school. And very suddenly, I had to stop this whole multi-month long transition that I had been in and begin a transition back to my old job at 911, which thankfully they uh, took me back. But that was all very sudden and it was all so disoriented. And I wonder if we can camp out for just a moment on those types of rather sudden and highly confusing transitions. How does that differ from what we've already been talking about? No, this is a great point. The church where I'm at uh, over the last couple of months has had several folks transition out of the the team. Some of those were quite quick. Some of those were a little bit less quick. A couple of those were for unhealthy reasons, uh, relapse, inappropriate relationships, things like that. You know, there have been moments where uh, we had a staff member on Monday and didn't have that staff member on Tuesday. And Mm. suddenly... All that person's work is on my plate. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the kind of transition that you're describing, right? Like where it's... Right. It is legitimately out of your control and you had no lead time. And what do you do? Yeah. I think the question that I find myself asking is, where is God in that? Right. You know, there's a great line in Hamilton, right, in the eye of the hurricane. And in the eye of the hurricane, I mean, I know in the in the rest of the song lyric is there is silence, but with the storm swirling about you, I do think it is really, really hard to figure out where God is in all of that. And sometimes it's a long time afterward that you can see God's leading in all of that or how he was with you. But this is where I think all of the pre-work Where was your relationship at with God before that moment? And you just have to fall back on the trust that God has always been with me. I can point to these other things. And even if I can't see him here now, I can see that clearly and I'll hold on to that. Yeah, I I think for me, it's holding on to those things as well as... More and more, I find myself really fascinated 
by the virtue of trust. I am a highly competent human being. I'm good at a lot of things. I'm a good communicator. I'm a good leader. I'm just good at stuff. And so in the kind of transitions that we're talking about now, my honest first instinct is to perform my way out of the problem. (laughs) And throughout a number of the transitions that have happened in my life recently, I find myself being challenged to trust that God is able to work out his plans and purposes, that I am not an essential character in the story. I'm just a background character, far from being the hero of the story that I normally want to be and think I am. Mm. I'm really just a background character, and I need to surrender center stage to God as the history maker. And that, for me, has been the one thing that helps me get through those kinds of transitions that I think we're now talking about is acknowledging how weak my own trust is, but seeking to use those moments to grow my trust, to practice trust. Hmm. Boy, that's so good. It's so good to take yourself out of the center of the story. And I think that's what helps us, helps me be able to recognize that there is a bigger story at play, that God never promised that it was going to all work out fine for me, that in fact, he said it was going to be really, really challenging to follow him and horrible things were going to happen in this world. And he'd just be with us. That was the promise. And Mm. so trust has nothing to do with trusting that my circumstances are going to get better. They might, but trust is relying solely on a God who is good, even if the circumstances don't get better. And a trust in a bigger plan and a bigger vision than just my own suffering or my own condition. That is mm. a hard, hard thing, but it sounds kind of negative, but to experience it, those moments where, where you finally do, it's so liberating. Well, and at least for me, like I said, it is practice. I don't know that I've ever had a moment that was complicated in my life where I actually did it. <laughs> but there were lots of moments of recent that I at least practiced it and felt like I gained some benefit and some clarity and some peace from the practicing, even if it was only partial and weak and broken and flawed practicing. Well, and I'll say this for practice, and I just want to affirm, like over the 20 years that we have been friends, I have watched you practice this. And I have seen it being practiced belatedly. Oh, if only I had. But I'll tell you this, I've been very inspired during your current transition. You have succeeded at this far more than you ever have in your life. I have watched it. I have heard how it transforms your opinion of the moment. 
by having experienced this, you have practiced and you are seeing results in your practice. And that is really, really cool. Mm, thank you. That's incredibly encouraging. It, it, You're absolutely right, though. Years of practicing do make a difference. And there are, have definitely been moments where I've gotten further this time around. And I appreciate the fact that that's noticeable from the outside because, you know, I grew up hearing trust as a third grade song, right? Trust and obey, trust and obey, <laughs> uh, for there's no other way. As if trust were a simple thing mm. that you just do. <laughs> and that has not been my experience. <laughs> no. <laughs> my experience is that trust is complicated. Yeah. And that I have to work at it. And that I have to, and work at it is almost entirely the wrong thing. I need to practice it. Like you said, 20 years of practicing it, and while it is still a flawed practice, at least there's some I improvement, but it's been 20 years of practicing. Yeah, man, so good. I want to use that as a moment to transition to the audience and say, hang in there with your practice, hang in there with the Psalms. Immerse yourself in this worldview of trusting God with every single emotion, every single moment of transition, every single moment of chaos. If the Psalms do nothing else, they reorient us at least to that, to say, God, in the midst of whatever we're experiencing, I'm going to trust you. It might take everything I have, but I'm going to trust you. And almost like a, a reminder to oneself over and over and over, yep, I can trust God. So I hope that you all are joining us with this uh, Summer in the Psalms series. You can find the link for our reading plan in the show notes. You can also find it on social media on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Instagram. You can't get the link on Instagram because that's just not how it works, unfortunately. But you can get the link to our reading plan on Facebook. And we invite you to read along with us and share your thoughts with us. We'd love to engage with you. Absolutely. I I'm so excited to hear what people are thinking. And in all honesty, this is also a moment where it is good for us to practice, I think, the communal discipline of praying together. Like mm. transitions are a good moment to know that someone else knows and is praying. And to whatever degree people are willing to share the transitions that they're going through, we would love to be praying for those things. Mm. Yeah. How encouraging is that? Absolutely. But uh, so, I mean, that's what I've been thinking about. But what about you? What are you thinking about these days? Yeah. So I'm, like I said, at the top of the episode, really loving our Summer in the Psalm series. I'm so glad it's finally here. And I'm so glad to finally be sharing thoughts directly from the Psalms. Mm. I've been thinking about this for a long time, but I'm finding the value in this in a whole new way. I've been conflicted, and I think I've even said on the podcast before, I've been conflicted, how should we or should we not use the divine name? Should we use the, the name Yahweh? And I know there was, in Judaism, the practice of staying away from that, saying Adonai every time Yahweh was written in the text. Even Adonai was written in some of Israel's later documents. 
or even Hashem, the name, was written in some of the later documents. And so there was this concerted effort to not profane, accidentally, the name Yahweh. But I realize God gave us a personal name for a reason. Our modern translations have carried this forward and said, okay, we're going to avoid using the divine name, and we're going to say the Lord, and Lord is going to be in all caps, and that's going to substitute for Yahweh. And what I've started to do as I've read the Psalms is mentally replace the Lord with Yahweh as I read. And it's, it personalizes the psalm so much. It particularizes who God is so much. I'm really enjoying it. If I can, I'd love to read just a short little snippet of Psalm 3, but I'm going to replace the NIV's translation of the Lord with Yahweh, just to give you a flavor of how this works. Mm, go for it. Yahweh. How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will never deliver him. But you, Yahweh, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to Yahweh, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because Yahweh sustains me. For me, that's just so much more personal than saying the Lord. And I don't want to knock the NIV. I know what they were trying to do, and I know what our modern translations are doing, but there's something personal about God's divine name, and I think it's useful. That's really good. Yeah. So That's what about really you? What, do you uh, what have you been thinking about in your reading of the Psalms? You know, one of the things that caught my attention, both in the book that I'm reading by Alec Moyer and the teaching series that I'm listening to by... Uh, what's her name? Sandra Richter. Am I saying that right? You got it. Oh, okay. Yep. Sandra Richter. They both point to the fact that in the Psalter, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 should both be seen as introductory Psalms. Mm. And I have always heard of Psalm 1 introduced this way, but when you take Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 as the introductory psalms, it makes it a much richer suggestion of what the organizers of the Psalter think of as the key themes to be looking for. Because Psalm 1 is a a law psalm, a Torah psalm. Psalm 2 is a kingly psalm, a messianic psalm. Uh, Richter says that in some sense, Psalm 1 looks back to the law, and Psalm 2 looks forward to the Messiah. And those two poles of existence set the tone for worship in the Psalms. Mm. Man, you're making me want to go back and reread Psalms 1 and 2 in that light. That's really cool. Isn't that a neat way to like just, you know, for the organizers of the Psalter to say, hey, here are the two things we want everybody to make sure they're looking for. These two themes weave throughout everything we're about to say, so be looking for them (laughs) is, for me, very helpful. And really what I find myself wanting to do is read the rest of the Psalms mindful of this sort of, you know, to oversimplify 
Psalm 1, everybody has a choice, and that choice is, will you walk in the blessed way of the law or the cursed way of, of not the law? And I want to be looking for that theme. And Psalm 2 really asks the question, how will you respond to the king? And I want to be looking for that theme. Mm. And I'm curious how that will inform my reading of the Psalms. I'm curious too. I hope that comes out in your thoughts segment from time to time because I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I'm very grateful for that point again that kind of was in both things that I've been reading. Wow. That's so good. And we're going to make a really horrible transition to our not so good, which Josh question. And a note to the listeners. Well, in some sense, it's good. Okay. Once I explain what the which Josh question is this week, I would love for you to defend how this is a good which Josh question. (laughs) So the question is this, which Josh has not thrown up in over 30 years. Now, defend yourself, sir. That's a long time. That's a lot of not throwing up. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> throwing up is a bad thing. <laughs> the right. absence of a bad thing is a good thing. All right. And it is perhaps obviously me, and I am quite proud of it. <laughs> Okay, tell us your secret, because I'm sure a lot of people are out there going, hmm, how do I make this a part of my life? (laughs) I have an inherently strong stomach, so that's a big chunk of this. Oh, Uh, great. We have to have Josh from Missouri jeans. Yeah, it's. but I will say, in all honesty, the amount I get sick has decreased almost to nothing ever since... I have been drinking a glass of orange juice and having at least one mug of jasmine green tea every single day. Really? Those two things together. I mean, literally two, three weeks ago, everybody around me was getting sick. I felt myself getting sick, like really, really sick. Like I could feel it coming. And I just started downing orange juice and I drank like, In one evening, I drank like four giant mugs of jasmine green tea. And the next morning, I woke up totally fine. (laughs) Okay. So I have to say, I'm sure that all of this is like legit. But I hear you say all that. And I think of the dad in my big fat Greek wedding who put Windex like on everything because he thought it just (laughs) cured the world. And I'm like, yeah, okay, buddy. It does sound like that. I mean, at the end of the day... We all know vitamin C is good for you. And I think the thing in green tea is antioxidants. I don't know what they are, but I know they're in there. But regardless, I I did not start doing either of these things for health reasons. I happen to really, really like orange juice. Like, I would love to win a Tropicana year's supply of orange juice. It would be (laughs) a glorious thing. Um, And... I love jasmine green tea, so I drink it all the time anyway. But yeah, I almost never get sick. And if I start to get sick, it means I have not been doing those things. All right. You heard it here first, everybody. Right here on this podcast, orange juice and green tea. You'll never get sick again. That's it, man. (laughs) All right. Well, are we on for more health remedies next week? 
Absolutely. All right. I'll talk to you then. All right. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye.